ComC is your home to buy, sell, and flip all kinds of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Come visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Happy New Year! I hope you had a great holiday season and are back at it and ready to go into 2024. I'm looking forward to a brand new year. Now in the past couple years, you've probably heard me talk about it on the podcast. You've probably read some of the articles that I've done. Pretty much every year for the last few years, I had a formal set of goals for the hobby and for what I wanted to accomplish in the hobby going into the next year. And this is the first year that I don't have a an article put together, or I don't have a formal list of things put together of what I want to accomplish in the hobby in 2024. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that I'm going to be shooting for. It does kind of mean I started a little bit early on a couple of them. And so one of those things that I want to do in 2024 is to create more content. You know, as I was doing the shop over the last several years, I had mentioned before, the number of articles that I had been able to write on the blog at waxpackhero.com had been going down. I was down to maybe one a month. I was probably averaging about 12 to 13 articles a year for the last few years, but that is a goal that's going to change. I want to bump that up, and that started in December. I actually was able to write five or six different articles in December, and I want to keep that going into 2024 as well. I want to shoot for at least one article a week Um, just to get a little bit more content out there on waxpackhero.com. So I'm going to be keeping that up. I'm going to be keeping the podcast going. Looking forward to having some more great conversations with, with all of the folks who are listening out there and their super collections, as well as putting out some more educational type articles. So I want to, I want to keep that going from a card perspective. I'm still working on my vintage sets. I'm down to about four or five cards for my 1959 top set. So I want to knock that out. And I'm under 100 left, I think maybe like 70, including a bunch of high numbers for the 1966 top set. So those are going to be the two primary focuses when it comes to my vintage sets in 2024. Other than that, I want to just grow the overall Wax Pack Hero audience. I want to be able to connect with more people out there, have more people be able to listen to the podcast, read the blog, and so I'm going to be you know, focused on doing what I can to help grow our Wax Pack Euro audience, but you can play a big role in that too because when you tell a friend about the show or when you tell a friend about the, the website, that helps so much in, in getting more people to understand what I'm trying to do here and, and be a part of our Wax Pack Euro community. So I would appreciate anything that you can do to help tell and share the message of of Wax Pack Hero to your friends and fellow collectors as well. Well, this whole show is not just going to be about goals for 2024, but since we're starting the year, I wanted to start the show of this brand new year sharing a little bit about what I wanted to do. 
Our main topic today is a super collector series, and it's going to be a topic that we've never done before, and that is going to talk about Harry Potter cards. There are a lot of Harry Potter cards that are out there, but some of these entertainment-related cards don't always get the notoriety that baseball and basketball and football do. And so I wanted to bring on somebody who, from my perspective, is an expert on Harry Potter cards, has had some big Harry Potter cards come through his collection. But as you'll hear, when he gets into something, he goes deep in developing a deep understanding of what all is out there so that he has a a well-rounded perspective on what cards he wants to get. And that's Adam Gray from Basketball Card Fanatic magazine, the Basketball Card Podcast. And he's going to educate us on the history of Harry Potter cards and some things that we might think about if we might want to get into Harry Potter cards. Here you go. Well, Adam Gray is better known as the real 27 guy in hobby circles. He's the host of the Basketball Card Podcast, owner and chief editor, editor-in-chief of the Basketball Card Fanatic magazine. And he returns to the show today to talk about what else? Harry Potter. I've been having these super collector conversations. We've been able to hit on all kinds of different sports and entertainment collections. But until today, we have not had a conversation about Harry Potter cards Adam, welcome to the show. The Wax Pack Hero, Mike Summer. It's great to see you again. You and I last saw each other and talked at the National. It was good to meet you there. And I will tell you something that I think a few people might know about me already, which is that when when you asked me to come on and talk about Harry Potter cards, I don't know that there's any topic in the world that I would have rather have you ask me about. I haven't had anybody ask me to talk about this, and it's something that I have a lot of passion for. So thank you for for uh for inviting me on i appreciate it i'm glad you are available and willing to come that's a a great starting point though why do you have this passion for harry potter and harry potter cards i think a lot of people experienced harry potter the same way which was when the books were coming out and they were obsessed with it and you know there were these midnight um sort of like releases of the books and people were going to their bookstores and buying the books and then reading them all the next couple of days until they were done that wasn't me. Um, I had no interest in reading when the when the books came out. Um, the first one came out when I was in like high school, I think in the late nineties. Um, and then, or I, I should say the first, the first movie came out and then, and before that, the, the, the books came out. I don't even know exactly when the books came out, books came out, but I didn't really like read them. I, I think I watched the first one, I think um, in the late nineties. And then, uh, or maybe early 2000s. And then um, I went on a mission um, to, to England. And so from October of 2002 to October 2004, I was in England. And when I got there, there were these double-decker buses everywhere that had like pictures of Hermione or of Harry and Ron. And I just thought it was stupid. I was like, oh, that's cool. These weird British people, they've got this like, they've got these like buses everywhere. And they've got, you know, these characters and Harry Potter's this thing, whatever. And I just thought it was all dumb. So I lived there for two years thinking Harry Potter was dumb. We don't, I didn't like watch movies or anything while I was there. And so I didn't even know whether I, whether I liked it. I came home. I think I saw another one of the movies somewhere along the way. I didn't really care. And then after I met my wife, we went to um, the number six movie, which is called the Half-Blood Prince. And I found myself like loving it. And maybe it was because I had this nostalgia for England. But I loved the movie and I thought it was super interesting. And so my wife's name's Angie. Angie and I went and we watched all of the movies again leading up to six. 
And then we watched them again. Like we watched them like two or three times, maybe more than that, honestly. And we just sort of fell in love with the story. And both of us went back and we read the books and we thought they were really fun. And then we waited for the seventh movie and the eighth movie. And we were there on premiere nights and we just, we had such a fun experience with them. Um, And, you know, then I had kids and as we had kids, we've like, I've read the books aloud to my kids multiple times. I'm one of those dads that like makes all the voices, Mike, like I, like Hagrid's got a different voice than Dumbledore than Snape. They all, and my kids know the voices and um, you have to know like that many books, it takes so much time to go through them. It's become Harry Potter has become like this, like really important part of my family's life and my, and my life. And I know that sounds like some people are going to hear that and they're going to go, Oh man, this guy's totally cringy or, whatever, but like, it's become an important part of our family's lives. And so when I discovered or sort of rediscovered the idea that there were cards that were made while the movies were coming out and there aren't very many of them. And they include things like autographs and set props and thing, costume cards and stuff. And then I started getting into those and researching those. I couldn't have been more excited for it. I went head over heels crazy. I don't even want to talk about how much time I spent or how much money I spent. I just, Mike, I just loved getting into this stuff. It was in, it was early 2022. I got into it. And for about a year, it's like all I did I went crazy with Harry Potter cards. And that sort of, that sort of takes us up to today. So you had developed a passion about Harry Potter over the last several years, but it sounds like it wasn't until early 2022 where you started to connect the dots between this passion that you and the family had and the fact that there were cards that existed for harry potter so did that thought not even cross your mind throughout the you know how many years was it that you were actually kind of watching the movies getting passionate reading it to your kids how how long was there between that time you know four or five years well i think half-blood prince came out in 2006 or 2007 and then we've been kind of obsessed with harry potter as a family really like since then and more and more, you know, I didn't, I didn't start having kids until 2010. Um, so, you know, we didn't start reading until 2015, 2016-ish. So that's been, you know, less than a decade. But I've loved the movies all that time. I think I think the question that you're asking, though, is, is interesting because I've always been a, a basketball card collector because I love basketball. But I didn't ever really jump to the idea that entertainment could have these tangible you know, pieces of cardboard that would be interesting to me because I just never thought that way. It wasn't until a friend of mine posted a picture of a Harry Potter autograph card where I went, huh, that could be kind of cool. And then I remembered back when I worked at the card shop, I worked at a card shop from 1999 through like 2000, what was it like 2007 or 2008. And I remember him opening these cards and thinking those are dumb. Because remember, I, at the beginning, I thought Harry Potter was dumb. I never would have paid attention to the cards. And then when I remembered him opening those packs and I, and I saw those cards that were out there, I was like, this could be interesting. And, and like happens to card collectors, sometimes when you start researching, you end up in this place where you're like, hey, this is even cooler than I thought. And then you go down this rabbit hole and it consumes you. And like, I, I can't tell you how many times, Mike, I'd be like going to bed and thinking about like how Harry Potter card odds worked and like what the coolest cards were going to be in the long term, which cards I needed to add to my set. It was, it was just like I've been with basketball cards, 
but in a whole different way. And, and that was really cool. So you, you know, if anybody knows you or they've been paying attention to your basketball card fanaticism, they know that you love to dig in. You love to know the background, the research, the history of both the, the players, the people that you're collecting, as well as the cards and the products themselves. And, you know, you mentioned you started to, to your interest was piqued about this Harry Potter stuff. What was the first, let me ask it this way. From the time where you your interest was getting peaked, how much time did you spend doing research, finding out, learning about what was out there before you made your first purchase of a, a Harry Potter card? I probably, I probably studied. I don't know, maybe like, probably like ten to fifteen hours before I made a purchase. And although that sounds like an incredible amount, that's probably less than I normally do. I don't buy a lot of cards. I don't like, I, I love, I love basketball cards, but I don't buy a lot anymore that I want for my collection. Um, I, I probably do more like research per card than like anybody, but that just make means that I'm insane. I don't really take a lot of pride in that. I think it's just who I am. Um, the Harry Potter stuff, I, I felt like I really jumped into more so because I, I just didn't know that it really was there. And then once I started started learning and I started thinking about the rarity and the cultural significance, I kind of was blown away by, by the values of that stuff compared to like the values of modern basketball cards. And this is the way to think about it. At the point when, when, I, was, when I was collecting, when I started collecting them, Lamella Ball was one of the big names in the NBA. And Lamella Ball has this like terrible little squiggle autograph and his big cards at the time were like the national treasures rookie cards with like the big pieces of patch. And there were 99 of them. And then there were all these different variations and they were like $20,000 or some crazy amount of money. So I looked at that. And then I looked at like Daniel Radcliffe's first autograph card, which was one of the biggest, one of the first big cards that I bought. I think I paid and it's not cheap, right? It was expensive. I think it was like, it was like $5,000 that I paid for this card, which again, I know is a lot, but I was like, let's see Daniel Radcliffe who has around a hundred of this card and he doesn't have a million variations. He doesn't have all this other stuff. He signed it during the movies. He's one of the best known, like he, his character is one of the best known characters, if not the best known character, like of our era, of our generation. And, and he's again, he signed it when he was like a teenager. And then you've got LaMelo ball and I'm like, and his autograph's terrible. And Daniel Radcliffe's autograph, you can actually read it. I like compared these two things. And I was like, you're telling me this is worth like this de- this little balls worth like five times as much as this. Not only does that, that not make sense, but I like love this and this is hard to find. And it's really cool. I'm holding my hand up. I know that some people are just listening on audio, but they know what I'm getting at. Like, like Harry Potter is what, what IPs are bigger than Harry Potter. And then more importantly than that, what did it mean to me and my family? And, and as we collected the cards together, how would my kids get into it? They didn't get into it as much as me, honestly. They got into it um, and they thought it was cool seeing those cards sort of come home and like, oh, hey, we got Neville's autograph today. We got Ginny's autograph. We got Mrs. Weasley. I remember, you know, as each of those came in, my kids really liked it. But um, but to go back to your question, it, it was less time than, it, than, honestly, than you would think compared to how I think about other cards. But I was so enamored with it that I went crazy, Mike. Like I... I went crazy with time and with money 
on these cards and um, no regrets there at all. So once you got started, once the floods gate, once floodgates started to open, you know, where did you go? You mentioned that Daniel Radcliffe was one of the first cards that you pursued. Um, you know, so, you know, where did you start to go as you were doing your research uh, as far as what was, was out there and what was available, you know, what were, I guess, first of all, what were some, what were some of the first Harry Potter cards out there? I know there's a TCG game, um, like a trading card game. And then there's also the art box, right. The, where they had the, the sets that were based on the different films, you know, so I don't know the order that those came in. So kind of let's, let's start with, if somebody is interested in, in starting to learn what's out there, start to track down some things from the, from the movies or, or based on the movies, what is there for them to go after? There's lots of different stuff. There's stuff that started coming out, right? Um, both stickers and cards right when the first movies were made. And I think even before the movies were made, there were some like artistic things that, that came out. Um, but they, those weren't particularly interesting to me. What was interesting to me was that during the filming of the Harry Potters, um, or, or during the third movie, Warner Brothers contracted with this company called Artbox. I had never heard of Artbox when I when I first discovered the cards, um, but then came to learn that Artbox had been contracted by different movie studios to be like the official um, card producer um, for that movie or for that series. Like Willy Wonka, for for example, is one of them. Where um, the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka, um, where they had a bunch of the actors from that movie come in and sign a bunch of the cards, and then they made like inserts and they made a base set and and they did the cards really well. So they did that same thing with Harry Potter, starting with uh, movie number three, which is Prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban is also like this great time in this in the Harry Potter series because it's like right before the kids start to really grow up. They're still really kids. Um, I think during the filming, I think Emma Watson was 13 and the boys were like 14 years old. And so... You know, if you can put yourself back in that time, that's 2004. You know, we're talking about almost 20 years ago now. Just remember, like, what Harry Potter was like in the world. It was, you know, it was just, it was crazy. It was huge. Um, and so, so when Warner Brothers contracted Artbox to create these cards, they had these kids sign a bunch of them, like 100, like 100 copies each-ish. And then the, the popularity was was obviously so great that they realized that they were going to need to come out with bigger sets. But the thing they didn't do, you would, you would think, you would think now, given the lens of, of what we've seen card companies do, that as soon as the, as soon as like something is viewed as really popular, they would just mass produce that given set. But that's not what Artbox did. I think they made something, I, I, I should remember this. I think they made something like 5,000 boxes for the first product. That's it. Yeah, that's not, not it's very little. It's very low. Compare it to anything modern, and it would be about the rarest thing that's out there. Um, the first set has an autograph of Hermione or Emma Watson, has an autograph of Sirius Black, Gary Oldman, um, and it has like Dumbledore and a couple of other a couple of other guys that are in the set that are a little bit rarer. The Hermione, there's only believed to be 50 of that card in the world, and you know she signed it when she was super young. Well. While that set's in process, what I believe happened is that's the Prisoner of Azkaban set. At that point, I think they realized we, we've got to make more right away. And and because, because of the demand, 
And at that same time, other like I don't think they were getting all the autographs back from the actors immediately. And they didn't have this redemption sort of thing worked out yet. So instead of waiting for all the autographs to come back to put into the packs, they then created this update set. So Prisoner of Azkaban was the first one in 2004. And then later, I think also in 2004, maybe 2005, no, it's 2004 still, there's the Prisoner of Azkaban update set. And it has autographs that look like they should have been in the first set. Um, so Hermione's in the first set. She's actually in the second set too. But the second set, all like they, they did some really innovative things. And I'll, I'll tell you about a couple of them. They did a double autograph with both of the Weasley twins, Fred and George Weasley. So they, they like didn't just do single autographs. They started to do doubles. Then they did, they did like the card that's pretty easily viewed as like the Harry Potter biggest of all cards, which is they had um, the actors for Hermione, Ron and Harry all sign on the same card. There's no stickers. Like you see a lot of the time with, with um, entertainment autographs today, they're all on card. And this card has three lines, the three images of those three from the prisoner of Azkaban movie. It's Harry, it's Hermione, and then it's Ron, and each of the three signed it. But what's interesting, Mike, and I'm, go I'm going in a lot of different, different directions here, I know, but what's interesting about this card to me is that Hermione Emma Watson's signature is a different format. It's It's got some similarities that let you know that it's the same as the later one, but like it, it doesn't have some of the same sweeping like calligraphy type um, um, elements to it. And and I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that she actually signed the triple autograph first because mm -hmm. it's more juvenile. It's less, if you were to see it, you were looking at it, you go, okay, I see what Adam's getting at. But because I think they didn't have probably Rupert Grint, they weren't able to release this card as part of the first Harry Potter Prisoner of Azkaban set. So then it goes into the update set. And so her first autograph that came out that, that I have that I love I think that's probably actually her second autograph. The triple's probably first, even though it came out in the second set that came out a few months later. And then also in that second set, Emma Watson had another autograph, but so did Daniel Radcliffe, so did Rupert Grant. And each of them are like, there's really not very many of them. Um, and I'd love to talk to you about why we know how much of them when there are but I don't want, I've already gone off the rails a little bit. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to just jump into that unless that's something that you want. To talk about. No, I think that would be, would be good to hear because I think one of the things that we struggle with in any of the collectibles is getting good estimates on how much of a product is out there, right? There's a lot of people that do math gymnastics with odds and the published odds and all of all kinds of types of things. And sometimes those have proven to be pretty accurate and sometimes they've been proven to be you know, way off. And so, yeah, I, for, for this type of thing, I think that would be great because some people don't necessarily fully understand how limited some of these entertainment products are. And so, yeah. So if, if you want to share a little bit about kind of what the, the theory is or, or what the math is behind how much of this product is actually out there, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, appreciate that. Yeah, the, the, um, the boxes are actually numbered, which is cool because you can see how many boxes were made of each product really easily. The question that's interesting to me is, you know, with like sports card inserts, sometimes you have a card like um, the Jambalaya insert for basketball. You don't really have any idea how many of them there are. You can say they were one in 720 packs and it's a 15 card set. 
which means that the average card came out one in 10,800 packs. But how many did they produce, right? Yeah, you also have cards in sports that are serial numbered, and you know then how many of them there are because it states it right on the card. These cards, the boxes were numbered, but the autographs weren't. And there are some, there are some like um, prop cards and costume cards. Those are numbered, actually, interestingly. And those are really interesting. We can talk about those in a bit, but if you want to. But, um, but the autographs are interesting because you really have to like sort of like do some real research, right? And so there's a guy, I forget his name, but he, he, it'll probably come to me in a second, but he runs a group called NS Lists. And so if you just Google NS Lists, you're going to see most of the non-sports products ever made. And within this, within this thing, you get, you basically see checklists. Like you can click on any of the products. There's like this giant list of links. You click on a link and you'll see everything that existed in these products. And you see like pack odds and things like that. But the thing that's really interesting that they've done, um, and this has gone on for, for decades. They started doing this back, I don't know if it's in the 80s or 90s, but forever they've been doing this. Um, his name's, I think his name's Je- Jeff Aldman, Jeff Allerman, something like that. Um, what, they, what they did is back when the products were actually released, they tracked hundreds of boxes of this stuff. And out of each box, there were like patterns. And out of each case, there were patterns. And people used to open a whole case. Because remember back then, Mike, you'd have a, a box would be like, a box of Harry Potter stuff would be like $40. And if there were 12 boxes in the case, somebody was literally buying a case for like 400 bucks, which is crazy to think now because most of the boxes are thousands of dollars, right? To get any autograph, to pull it like on your own, you're going to spend thousands of dollars to do that. But back when they were released, they were really cheap. They're seriously like 40 or 50 bucks a box. So this Jeff uh, Alderman or, or however you say it, like he, he on one of these old websites that doesn't exist anymore you, that you can only get to if you go through like the internet archive. Um, there is evidence of him sort of tracking these cases. And if you know, if you, if you can see 10% of a, of a run opened, you can determine approximately how many of these cards were produced. Now, the only, the only two things here that are, that are important to understand um, that sort of bring these things into question, these population counts into question are one, what if the sample was bad? I believe in his samples. I think he's done an awesome job. And I think his percentage, sometimes he would, he would witness 20% of a product open. um, And that's what would give him sort of like the, the, ability to extrapolate how many total there were. The bigger issue for me, and I think this is true for some of the Harry Potter cards, is sometimes I think cards were held back from distribution. We see this in sports cards today too. What if a manufacturer only places 10% and then they hold, or 50%, and then they hold 50% back either because they're going to give them away as gifts to executives or hold them back for replacement copies or whatever else. Um, it's hard to know exactly on some of those things, but I think that directionally it's, it's very good. And I think if you were, if you to get back to the Harry Potter cards, what you find is there are very clear patterns around how often they would release some of these cards. And so when you've got 20% of the population or even 5% of the population open, 
you can extrapolate pretty well how many there are because you know how many total boxes there are. So unless unless our box held back a bunch of a factory, you know basically how many of them there are. And the numbers are shocking how low they are. Like I said, Hermione's first autograph, there's 50. Harry's first autograph, there's 100. Um, I think Ron is about the same. Um, most of the guys, it's like 200 to 250 autographs. And when you see the quality of the autographs now, and you, you, they're amazing. Mike, they're amazing because they're more like calligraphy. They really take time to, to make them compared to like some of our modern athletes that just scribble something real quick. You know, like you've seen some of these autographs, they're like check marks. And Harry Potter, like I mean, these actors, they're crazy, man. Like they'll write everything out and it looks unbelievable. Not all of them, but um, they took their time on them and they didn't sign very many. I believe after all, after looking at all the math, that Harry, Ron, and Hermione across all 17 products that, that came out for Harry Potter, there's 17 total products that came out between 2004 and 2009 or 2010. Across all 17, each of those three actors have a total of about, about 1,000 autographs, between 900 and like 1,200 autographs each. So it's not a huge number. And, it, and since they all have a bunch of different variations, you can understand why they've become as collectible. Well, there is part one of our conversation about Harry Potter. I hope you learned something about non-sports, about art box, about the history of Harry Potter cards. I know I did throughout that whole conversation. Come on back next week where we finish up. We've got about another 20 to 30 minutes of conversation about these Harry Potter cards for you to enjoy in next week's episode. That is all I have for you today. I'll catch you next time.